I just want you to know I've eaten so many pieces of juicy fruit sugar free, they're no longer zero points. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's probably also not juicy or fruity. <laughs> no, they're not. That loses its flavor so quick. That's why I'm on a few pieces. Remember, like the zebra gum? What was that? Oh, yeah, G- zebra stripe. Zebra, zebra stripe, yeah. They had the chalky. Always the chalk on that. Outside. And that was all like, the flowers, was that chalk? <laughs> the chalk. Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello and thank you for taking a seat at the table. We are in episode four of our Autism Behind Closed Doors series. So we have a special guest today that I'm very excited to introduce. But first, at the table as usual, we have Rachel Flanagan. Hey everybody. Jamie Ramos. Hello. Tabitha Cabrera. Hello. Kim McIsaac. Hi there. And I'm Jen Dunn. And joining us today is Jessica Berger. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I feel like we're real life friends, even though we've not met in person. But I did interview you a couple years ago. I first heard your story over on Coops. And it was at a time when we were really thick into aggression. And I just found your story fascinating, heartbreaking, heartwarming. It was beautiful. I'm going to let you tell it, but you have two daughters. You have Zoe and Piper, right? Piper made a quick appearance on our interview, so I remembered that. Um, Yeah, yeah, so do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we can jump into your story? Sure. Well, my name is Jessica, and I live um, right outside Philadelphia in the Philadelphia suburbs. I have two girls, Zoe and Piper. Zoe is 13, and Piper is 11, and we are just moving through it every day. One of the first things that that I learned about you that I I just watched another interview from another mom whose uh, son was in Kennedy Krieger and then right off the back of her interview was your interview. Oh. Okay. And your daughter was in the, had just gone in to Kennedy yeah. Krieger. So, you know, we're, this whole episode is about aggression. I think most people experience it with children on the spectrum. Not all but I would say most, certainly not to the severity of what you've dealt with. So do you want to tell us about your amazing Zoe? I know lots about her, but I'm going to let you t- talk about her first and maybe how you ended up at Kennedy Krieger. And then when we finished our interview, it was her fifth week there. I believe she's home now or is she back? You know what? We're going to get to that. So why don't we talk about Zoe? <laughs> so much has happened since then. Wow. I can't, It seems like It's only been two years and oh my God, it's been two years. Like it seems like it flew and also like a lifetime. So Zoe is 13. Zoe is nonverbal and, and she was always like up until age nine, Zoe was always relatively easygoing. She used a communication system at school called LAMP. And uh, it was like an iPad communication system and really, really well. And she was always relatively easy, like taking her out into the community was never an issue. We never really dealt with behaviors. In a lot of ways, she was a lot easier than my neurotypical daughter. And then when she turned nine, she started to engage in really intense, severe, self-injurious behaviors. And it pretty much happened overnight. I mean, really, truly, like it, it pretty much happened overnight. And she was hurting herself in, intensely. I mean, I took her to school with like two black eyes and, you know, school was concerned. And I mean, they knew what was going on, but it was a surprise to me, to her teachers, to everybody. But 
I guess I should sort of back up. So this, it sort of happened overnight, but there was, there was like, there was a slow buildup. Like her teacher started to call me every day and was like, you need to come pick her up. We can't handle her. We can't do this. And I didn't know any better. So I was going to pick her up, you know, not mm-hmm. realizing I had an obligation to keep her, but that's a whole other story. That I'm that's sure a different you- episode. Yes. A whole other episode. So anyway, she started to engage in these really intense behaviors and she was really hurting herself and she was doing a lot of damage. And I was like running around from one specialist to the next because I was thinking, was she, what was she trying to tell me? Was she in pain? Where was this pain? As her mom, I thought, because all of her self-injury was um, uh, centered around her eyes and her face. So I thought, well, maybe she's having headaches. And I took her to a neurologist and I, I asked for a CT scan. Like I asked for all of these things. I was afraid, God forbid, there was something really terrible going on. I took her to an ophthalmologist. I took, I took her to a panda specialist. I mean, you name it, I did it just because I was terrified and I didn't know what was going on. And nobody was really able to help us. Nobody was able to give me any answers. And meanwhile, this was just continuing. The behaviors were continuing and school was continuing to call me every day. And our home had been turned upside down, really. You know, it went from like a pretty peaceful place to screaming and yelling. And my younger daughter at that time was seven. So it was really challenging because I felt like I was completely on my own because nobody, nobody had anything for me. There was no suggestions. There was no help. There was nobody who had been through the same thing. Like I really felt like I was flying solo and then COVID hit and then we had no services or no nothing. But in the interim, this is never easy for me to say ever, ever, ever. It's been four years and it never gets easier, but uh, as a result of all the self-injury, my daughter lost her eyesight. So, you know, now I had a child who was incredibly self-injurious, mm. legally blind, you know, and um, there was no help, no support. It was a challenge. That's the part that stuck out to me. And you said she looked like she had gone around with Mike Tyson. She was so yep. battered and beaten. Yes. Yes. And in, it was right before her ninth birthday and her birthday is in April. So we had a family trip planned to Disney and we had had it planned. Actually, it was our gift to the girls for the holidays. We gave it to them during the, we celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah. We have, we do both in our house. And so it was their holiday gift. And we were going in April because it was right between Zoe's birthday's April, Piper's birthday's May. So it was right in between and really this happened like days before and our pediatrician, I took her to the pediatrician, like I took her all over and the pediatrician was like, I wouldn't get on a plane with her looking like that if I were you. And I was like, how am I going to tell my seven-year-old we're not going to Disney World? Yeah. So we went, we went and we did it. And actually Zoe was probably the best out of all of us, honestly, because <laughs> I don't know if on Disney, but. Whew. Oh, it's not the happiest place on earth. I'm just oh. going to tell you right now. It's not. Oh my- I am not a Disney parent. And to me, that was like, not a fun time. No. (laughs) Did you get a lot of looks and stares and? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But what happened was the pediatrician had, Zoe had never been on medication prior to that. So the pediatrician gave us, now I forget, I believe it was 
Risperidone. Risperidone. Yes. I almost said that too. Yep. And it worked like overnight. So when we were there, the behaviors really did settle down, but she looked like a mess. So yes, people were looking at us like, yeah, what, what happened to this child? So then anyway, so the, the Risperidone did help for a short period of time. That was in April. And I would say that summer was sort of like up and down. And then come spring is when like the shit really hit the fan. You're gonna have to eat you who me or something. But um, it's <laughs> only... But that's when it got really bad. And that's when her teacher was calling me. And that's when the Respiridone was no longer working. And, and that's when we found out about her vision. And then somebody at some point, oh, I think somebody at CHOP, I had taken her to CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. are familiar with CHOP, but um, they're really well known here in Philadelphia. And somebody there had recommended KKI to me. I had never heard of KKI. I didn't know what they did. I didn't know anything. So I filled out the application and I thought, okay, this is going to be like several years. So what are we going to do? until then. And actually, we were probably lucky because I say only, but we waited only six months. And when you're in crisis like that, that seems like an eternity. But I mean, all the families who are waiting are in crisis. And some Mm -hmm. of them in years. So we were lucky. What I found interesting, and and then I'll let you finish telling your story is that you had said you got a hold of an email. So you emailed every day. But you thought with her retinas, it would be a shock and what you learned is you learned was it's that's a very common thing at Kennedy Krieger for our kiddos which I think was what pulled at my heart so much is when I had learned that both of her retinas were detached yeah yeah from self-injuring so so you filled out the forms you like a mama bear went after every day to get her in and then how does that intake look um I don't know if I have the statistics correct um I'm only going by what Christine had said but she said it was uh, you know, 19 children, they hold 19 in that facility, which you had said is a hospital. I did not realize it. I thought it was a residential. Um, so for anyone listening, Kennedy Krieger is actually a hospital. It's part of John Hopkins, I believe you said, Got which it. I yep. did not know that either, but they take, it's like one in 19 kids like fill that spot every year. It's that hard to get into. Correct. So they take the most extreme cases. Correct. And when we were there, it was like the height of COVID. So they weren't even at their maximum like bed capacity. I think they were at like eight or something like that. And typically they're at like 16. So it's already not a lot. It is not easy, but I got the email of now I don't even remember what his title there is, but he's somewhere high up. And I got his email because my best friend is a primary care physician and she ended up somehow getting this email and I just emailed him every single day. And I sent him pictures of Zoe and I told him our story and I just begged him for help. I don't know if that helped, but we got in after six months and she was there for 10 months. So she went in February of 20... 2021. Oh, yes, because I talked with you, Jen, right after. Okay. So she went in February. She was there until December of 21. So she was there almost a year. She was there about 10 months. And then when she came home, still very much like COVID time. So when she came home, we didn't have... So what Kennedy Krieger... I mean, one of the very amazing things about them, there's lots of amazing things, but they help 
prior to discharge, they help kids with like school placements because oftentimes they have a different school to go to. So school placements, getting like wraparound services in the house, if you need like nursing services, any of that stuff, they help with getting all of that set up. So because it was like still very COVID-y, uh, Zoe didn't have a school placement. Mm-hmm. So she coming home and it was just supposed to be her and I, and we did have wraparound services set up. So her and I and wraparound services or someone coming to our house. So uh, what Kennedy Krieger does is they get all that set up. And then for the first like three days, they send the lead BCBA from your child's team home with you. So they don't stay at the house with you, but they, they put them, they stay at like a hotel nearby. And they're just there to support you um, in the, those first few days. So what happened was the day after we came home, our new wraparound uh, therapist was supposed to be at the house. And that way, like they could be trained by the KKI people and it would be this like very cohesive thing. Well, anyway, they called and and the therapist had like some type of an emergency and they said like, no, nobody's coming now or ever. Oh. Really. Oh. Yeah. So now it's me and Zoe and no school and like no BCBA, no nothing, no wraparound or nothing. So her behavior plan that KKI had created. And and what I also will tell you guys is when a child is being discharged from KKI, the parents go there and train like once a week for the whole like month leading up to discharge. So like they're making sure that you're very prepared. They're mm-hmm. not just sending this child home. They're making sure you're prepared. And I felt prepared, but our whole plan unraveled very quickly without any support yeah. because Zoe's super smart and she knows, hey, it's mom. And like, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm home and these demands just don't work for me here. It was really challenging, like right away. Like it felt like, all the progress she made very quickly unraveled. And so KKI staff ended up being here with us for like a month because I think they just felt so awful. And they were like, you know, had we known this, we wouldn't have discharged her anyway. So Zoe started to become very self-interest again and she was really hurting herself. And she hit her head one day against the, like in the powder room, you know, you have like a pedestal sink and she just whacked her head against the sink. And my husband and I ended up taking her back to CHOP because we didn't know what to do. And Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, they have a uh, unit there. It's called the MBU, the Medical Behavioral Unit. So a lot of kids with autism are there, unfortunately, because they're waiting for nothing which we can talk about another time, but yeah. <laughs> uh, because Rachel knows that. So we ended up taking her there and I was in touch with the staff from KKI and I was just begging them to take her back. And they did. They took her back. They did. They did. But it took us, that was, okay. She came home December. That was March. She wasn't able, they weren't, they didn't have space for her until July. So yeah. from, March to July, she was at CHOP, just waiting. Oh gosh. And what I learned there is there are so many kids like her, just yeah. waiting for a bed that most likely is never going to. Never going to come up. No. Now, when I had interviewed you, they were in the process of changing meds for her at Kennedy Krieger. You said they were doing it very slowly, obviously, to monitor her. 
Yeah. Um, did they get that figured out or did they have to go through? And, and what does that look like when she's there for you guys and for her? So they did. They, I mean, her medication has been adjusted so many times since I talked to you last. I'm actually very excited because she's on a very small amount of medication now. So that makes me very, very happy. But they did. They did get it figured out for what worked then. But what was the other question? What does it look like for us? Yeah. So she's in not residential. She's at the hospital, essentially. Yeah visits what's her day like what do they do there that prepares her to come home so, I mean, how do they stop those essentially stopping those behaviors yeah so her day there is structured like a school day so even though it's like a hospital environment they have rooms they have like common rooms and they have like activity rooms so it's like it, it is in a hospital and, it, and her, the bedrooms are very hospitally but they do have like areas where they can do school stuff and like social things it's, my daughter Stephanie was in a inpatient unit for a while and I compared it to being like a one level cruise ship like there's these common areas, there's these yeah. tiny little like dorm rooms with like just yeah. very empty, but then everything, each other space serves such a purpose. This is where dining is. This is where yes. sensory is. Yes, for yeah. sure. So her day is very structured and we can go visit whenever we want. We're lucky. We're an hour and 45 minute drive. You know, a lot of families have to fly there. So we're lucky that we can get in the car. We could be there and back in a day. We can go visit whenever we want. There are like three hour windows. So it's like either 10 to one or four to seven or something like that. I don't even remember anymore. Because she's not even there anymore. So I could fill you in on what's happened since then. But so it's like, yeah, you get the option to have two windows. And you can take your child out if you want. You can like bring siblings and you guys can go out for a meal or there's like a little garden. So like I'd bring, we brought Piper a couple of times and hung out in the little garden area. But yeah. And I remember asking you, I said, I was like, oh, I don't mean this in a, in any kind of way, but it, I said it must have been a relief for Piper to have that stress out oh, of yeah. the home, right? Oh. So I, I, I remember asking you, how did it change for her? Yeah. And you said she missed her, of course, but she got all the attention. She had mom and dad then, you know. Yeah, totally. She doesn't like to talk so much about it, but I have to, she, she was also under stress. And mm -hmm. she saw her sister, you know, engaging in these really intense behaviors. And I know it was also, there were scary moments for her. So while like nobody ever wants their child to not live at home, when you are living in crisis and then that child's not in the home anymore, there's like a whole bunch of things, but also there's peace. And so it's like, that's like kind of like the mind of it all. Yeah. You know, cause you want your kid home, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that's the most relatable. I mean, uh, first of all, mind yes. Second of all, you know, when you're fighting for safety in such a profound way and quality of life is up against that in the most fundamental polarizing options, like you're not facing these things because there are other options. You're driven to them because nobody's helped, because there is no help, because words like complex do not begin to cover what the heck, you know? Yeah, it sounds like you have you know what it's like to not to to navigate that system and to try and find help for your child. We've fought Jessica in a way that like 
your story, I mean, I'm just a mom in Minnesota and I heard your story in 2001 um, while my daughter was inpatient. And um, I had waited in a, a emergency room for five days, surrounded by kids that didn't, didn't have parents like us waiting and fighting and fighting and waiting. And, you know, then you go to inpatient and we discharged with a plan that fell apart and there's no accountability to that. And, and then they increase your level of care at the state and county level. And then eventually you're still just left you and your kids staring at each other, wondering how you're, who's going to die first. Yeah. What's going to happen. You know, I, yeah. so for me, you're just this beautiful survival story of, I mean, I don't know the end. I don't know where we're, where, you know, she's at right now and how things are going, but I do know that you fought your way through and like fighting for misunderstood is really difficult. I just, uh-huh. I commend you for your, the battle. I, it's terrible. It is terrible. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Like constantly, you guys know what it's like to constantly explain your child and their needs and, you know, what works and what doesn't. It's exhausting. So where is Miss Zoe now? So she, she went back to Kennedy Krieger. They took her back. So when she was in CHOP, she was there from February oh, right. to July. So while she was there, we started to look for residential facilities. And first of all, that process is awful. Yes. And she was so in this. So it's different. The funding and all of that is different in every state. In the state of Pennsylvania, insurance pays for uh, residential placements. But in the state of Pennsylvania, you can only apply to places in state. And if your child gets denied from those, then you can apply to places out of state that your insurance provider is in network with. So Zoe was denied from most places in state. Mm-hmm. We listed it too. She was accepted to one in, now I don't even remember, Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm sorry, my husband's sitting over here and he's like giving me a little like. <laughs> Thank you, husband. <laughs> so she was accepted to one place at the time in Kansas City, Missouri. And oh, I God. didn't want her in Missouri, but I wanted her to be safe. So I started to fight really, really hard to get her funding to get to Missouri. There were three separate pieces. It was like I had to get the state to agree. I had to get the county to agree. And I had to get the school district because they're responsible for the education portion. You guys, Mm -hmm. all everybody's nodding their head like, yep, yep, yep. Yes. My stepfather is an attorney. So luckily enough, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have an attorney in our family. He was, he was helping me. And then what happened was he started researching another case similar in our area. And he reached out to that attorney. So now we had two attorneys and I started writing letters to like all my state legislators. And I started to explain our story and why we needed this funding. And I was telling them my daughter was laying in a hospital bed waiting. And I was explaining, trying to explain to them the seriousness of the situation and that it really, truly was life or death for my daughter. And some people, some of the like state legislators wrote me back, some didn't, but it got to a point where we started having weekly Zoom calls and I had like 35 people from the state on these calls. My stepfather, attorney, this other attorney, people from the school district, 
like it just started to grow this it was almost like this movement it just started to grow and grow and grow but I could not get the state to agree to fund a out-of-state placement I was able to get the school district to agree the county agreed to chip in like a small portion not what they could have or should have but the state was telling me no 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 so then what happened was the um, social worker at CHOP, she ended up sending an application to another place in state that we had talked about, but they were full and they had said, well, we're not going to have a female bed for X amount of years. And the social worker at CHOP circled back to them and they said, actually, you know what? We're building a new building. We are going to have new beds. So they came out to CHOP and they met Zoe and it was the weirdest thing. It was like we were interviewing for this bed and it felt like there was so much on the line because it was like, well, what if she doesn't get in? Like, this really is our last hope because we can't get funding for this other place. So they came out, they met her. We found out the next day that she was accepted. Yay! Uh, I know. It was like, it was so crazy because I was home alone and I got the email and I couldn't open it from my phone because it was encrypted. And I was like, oh my God, what is this gonna say? And I really just was like such a nervous wreck. Anyway, she was accepted, but it was with the contingency that she go back to KKI and get stabilized. So KKI was on board. Stabilized is beginning point B. Right. Okay. How many but days did she have to be stable? Like eight hours? Like, they, I think they meant, like, back to where she was when she was discharged because she had gone from, like, I guess here Stabilized to Stabilized is such a hard word for me. I'm it's, sorry that triggered me. I didn't yeah, mean for oh, to I, come I, out I, in the episode. It's like, what does that mean? And also, like, isn't that what you're for? Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. Isn't that your the whole point of this thing to get yeah. right. stabilized? That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so... So anyway, KKI was on board. Zoe went back. And when she she went back from July to December, and then she was discharged, we took her, her dad and I picked her up and we brought her to uh, the residential facility where she is, which is about 30 minutes from our house. I love and is that, that long-term sort of forever placement or is there a limit on it? Or how does that look for her? And what does it look like that day Yeah, her? I she can be there till she's 21. And then at 21, they do have adults on campus. So I haven't talked with them about that yet. But I maybe that's an option. Who knows? I don't know. I'm, I hear the adult system is equally as difficult as the, you mm -hmm. know, the working with now. So I don't know. But so that's where she is. And how's I, she doing? She is okay. The first year was she December will be a year that she's there. And the first year was very difficult. It was really, it's been really, the first year has been really tough. Um, she did have a hot, like she was hospitalized in the first year for medical reasons, which I can get into in a minute. But so it's just like the first year has been, we finally feel like we've had a stretch that's like stable, that she's, yeah. you know, been good but the mm -hmm. first couple months were very bouncy and rocky because she was in the hospital she was out she was in she was out so the first couple months were tough I feel like between honeymoon and then that like test the boundary stuff yeah. uh, the first like month or two of anything makes for three transitions in itself you know exactly May I ask a question because well because of Celie 
I know yeah. that finding services for my five-year-old when she was inpatient, foster care was when she was seven, like finding placement for a girl uh-huh. is a miserable cuss because That's- you can't do mixed genders. You can't do a, like inappropriate age groupings with girls. So how many girls are in her, in this like new division of this building? Like how? Yeah. Like, I, what a blessing. So yeah. So she actually was the first girl. Yeah. No, I'm the second girl. She was the second okay. girl. And now there are, I want to say there's probably like five on her hall. So her hall is maybe 10 kids. So half of them are mm-hmm. girls at this point. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So where can I ask you where your daughter is? Am I allowed to ask you that? Of course you can. Okay. Yes. She, uh, my daughter, Celie is now eight and a half. Okay. Well, she'll be, yeah, eight and a half. She is at home primarily. She, okay. My husband and I are navigating uh, our divorce. So oh, she will be, you are, yeah. yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, uh, so do. anyhow, <laughs> we are navigating that right now, but she'll spend um, time at my home and at his. And okay. in order to stay stable here, uh, we do a, every, most every weekend at respite here, which oh, is okay. a dear friend of mine, um, because we've learned to trust so much um, in each other. We both do respite for each other's kids. And she's actually where Celie went for 83 day foster care. Okay. Oh, that's like, so stabilization hold. That's really nice that you have someone. Mainly, we looked at all the group home options and the residential placement options when we needed a place for C to be safe, and they were not viable for us. Uh-huh. And we needed something sooner than we could come up with an option with all these other, you know, the phone calls of the 15 people. Yeah. Um, and Chris opened her heart in her home. So I'm very lucky that way because there's nothing. Like the younger you are, the harder it is. The more girl you are, huh, I mean, it's just like a whole subsection of a subsection of a subsection of people, and, you know. And I find it how, like, as parents, you're just expected to be on twenty four seven with the kids. No respite. No yeah. respite. No nothing. You're just expected. Like these residential facilities say, "Oh, well, your child's too complex," and it's like, "Well, but I'm supposed to." You know, we say that all the time on the podcast and me specifically about Celie. It's like, if you need a staff ratio of, yeah, you know, she's right now at a school where she's in a federal level four setting in Minnesota, which means that she has like four other students in her classroom and up to seven or nine teachers. Okay. And then she's supposed to just come home on a bus with a gal and then show up to my house and just be okay until she gets back to her 118 other staff the next morning I'm like f off (laughs) like how am I supposed to stay alive you know right right yeah can I ask a question Jessica what is her diagnosis if you are okay saying yeah, so Zoe for our listeners. is an autism diagnosis, and she also has something called Soto syndrome, S-O-T-O-S syndrome. It's actually like an overgrowth syndrome. So Zoe is really tall. Well, she's super tall for her age. She's always been tall. She's probably, she's just, like, she and I are the same height now. I'm 5'5", five five, so I'm not very tall, but she's 5'5", thir- she's five five and she's 13. So she's tall. Like, she's always been tall, and 
she, with Soto syndrome, it's also a spectrum. And so some kids That's like- That's always fun to double up. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. And so some kids level out, meaning they don't become extremely, extremely tall. And some do, some are uh, super tall. So with Zoe, we just, we don't know. But I mean, it's like at the last of the list at this point. Yeah, uh, we were, we, this whole series, we've been talking about kind of this um, behind closed doors bracket of behaviors or stuff that we don't talk about as parents to autistic kids. And it's been hard to share, but also I think like freeing a bit to kind of discuss some of the, the harder things. So your, your story is really fascinating, especially for parents who, you know, you're at the end of the line in your state or wherever, where you're right, where do you go next? And you're just expected to parent for 24 hours a day for safety or whatever the case may be. It's just mind blowing that they're just like, have, okay, good luck to you. You know, you're like, (laughs) it is mind blowing to me. And the thing that I think is so is like such an important piece is that like I kept going and going and going and going but there are parents who can't or who maybe right who don't know how to or who don't have the support of like who don't have an attorney in their family mm-hmm. and who don't know how to do that so what happens to those families and those children they're all just living in crisis because because it they make it so difficult to to get help it makes me so angry because- i have yeah, it's, I've thought that so many times sitting at IEP meetings specifically because the school is like one of my personal hardest points, and I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but it just is challenging for me personally. But I'm an attorney by profession, and I've dropped that as as a like a skill to say, hey, I can read your documents. I know what you're saying. We're not messing around. Like we're gonna keep showing up. Mm-hmm. But there are so many parents who walk in there or any place where they don't have the power or the skills or the support or whatever it may be and just get closed yes. over in so many yeah. circumstances. It's just hard. I've thought about that same thing it, many times. Yeah, it is. It makes me so angry. And like, I've had people reach out to me, like, how'd you get help? How'd you get help? And I would love to be able to share with everybody but after like everything with zoe was said and done i was like that's when i shut the social media down because i was like i've got to take a break like it did a number on my nervous system so you know i would love to be able to to share everything i've learned with everybody so that it isn't so damn difficult and people can get help I'm just, you know, it's the form thing. I just don't know how to do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> They're awful. It's awful. So, so you mentioned um, that she was legally blind. Has her any of her vision like come back, or how? What's that look like? No. So we really. So when your retinas are detached, what I've learned is like sometimes when that happens, somebody will still maybe see shadows or their vision will be fuzzy, but eventually that goes away. So with Zoe, we don't really know because she's nonverbal. So we don't know what her vision is. I mean, you know, we're just now four years later because of COVID and because of all the disruptions in like getting help, she's just now learning to use a a white cane 
and to use a guide, you know, but it's taken us four years to get mm -hmm. here. But yeah, we just we don't know. So we're just moving ahead as if she does not have vision so that mm -hmm. she be in the world. Yeah. yeah. My mom um, had a sudden, suddenly went blind. And so um, she had hemorrhaging behind her retina and they detached and she lost total vision. And it's so interesting, the tools and mm -hmm. how integrated and easily integrated they are sort of into the worlds of autism. Yeah, it's, it's true. And this ability is uh, a little bit broad across both fields. So yeah. that's nice. It's true. I mean, Zoe is now at, so the residential facility where she lives has a school that's affiliated, but you know, that they're affiliated with, but it's sort of a bigger school. And I wanted Zoe to be in a smaller setting. So she's actually, which is so great. They're specifically for children with visual impairments that also have special needs. So it's a super small school and it's very close to my house. And I thought when we applied, I thought, no way is this happening. But at this point, like, what do I have to lose? I mean, I'm yeah. on calls with senators, like, it's fine, we're just going to apply and see what happens. And she was accepted. And they've been so great. Like they've been so they traveled That's amazing I to be trained by KKI prior to her discharge. Like they have been so great. So do you have any, um, do you still stay in touch with them? Do they check in? Do they have any kind of role in sort of, yeah, what's going on now? Yeah. So you have up to two years to reach out to like your lead BCBA for help, suggestions, any of that. So we're still within that window. So I definitely do reach out to her from time to time when we like sort of hit like a roadblock or we're mm -hmm. bringing and we think like, what would they think? So I have for sure reached out to them recently, but also like the lead BCBA on Zoe's team is a woman and she and I just became like, I just have such a special place in my heart for her. Like I love her so much. And she was very instrumental in getting us back the second time. Like she really went to bat for us. So I feel like even if we're out of the two year window, like I'll always, I'll always be in touch mm -hmm. with her is an autism diagnosis because I we just love little fairy godmothers along the way people that yeah. really understand our girls you know it's true it's true I and feel it's like when people get off our case I'm so sad for like a moment but then they turn into these lifelong aunties and yeah. I'm like oh, oh it's fine now yeah. I get you without a copay it's true it's like <laughs> what ones along the way like you just kind of like keep them because you know you meet so many shitty ones so you gotta really keep yes. the <laughs> now will she come does she come home on holidays or do you guys go there or do not try to disrupt that sort of day-to-day -day routine for her at this point so last year the hot like she moved in right before the holidays so we just went to her because we didn't want to disrupt yeah. she hasn't been home yet but we have been talking about her coming home we were thinking you know I talked with the staff at her residential facility so we're thinking maybe we'd start with like a day visit and they'll come home and they'll sort of like before she comes home they'll come to our house and they'll say like oh maybe you should do this or that or you know put this there or whatever so yeah so it's definitely on my radar but right now it's really nice because I get to see her she's 30 minutes away so I get to see her whenever I want like we were just right. with her on Saturday 
And when it's the thing with KKI is it's a hospital and it's locked. So the kids go outside like often. And I'm not into that. Like I feel like it's sunlight and fresh air. And Mm -hmm. so now it's really nice because when we visit, if it's good weather, we take her outside, we bring lunch, we bring dinner, we like have a little picnic and it's, it's nice. I mean, I'd rather have her home, but it's, of course, of course. It sounds like the absolute dream boat. I have like, (laughs) I have to commend you just for sharing your story because it's obviously a very painful story to share and it's a story that's not completely resolved yet, but I just think it's so important for her story to be shared and heard. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that there's going to be some other mom out there that this is going to inspire her and, and you keep them going. And it's so hard, even with the nothing, I've been through nothing like this, but like with the phone calls, with trying to get a hold of people with like trying to find a doctor for my adult daughter. Like it's just, I was going to say, Kimmy everything... has like an adult, an adult daughter. So she's okay. been through the whole adult scope of it all everything is so taxing and and sometimes you do step away and I don't want to say give up, but like sometimes you just get so beaten down by the process of everything. And obviously with your daughter, the stakes are so, you know, they're so high. It's just, you know, like you said, there's so many other people. I always think of people that like English isn't their first language. They don't even fully understand like, you know, what's happening to these kids. Like, it's just, it's just so hard. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. But yes, I think it's so important for people to hear our story because there are so many kids like Zoe. And I feel like we don't talk about we like media and social media, whatever, doesn't talk about the kids like Zoe. I feel like so often we're seeing like the happy stories and those like the happy Mm -hmm. stories the kid going to prom or the kid who gets the job at the coffee shop. And those are all really great stories too. But like, we need to talk about the kids who are laying in hospital beds with nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like why isn't there a Kennedy Krieger in every state or at least every region of the country? You know what I mean? Like 19. It's, it's crazy, you know? And it does sound like that is the best for the best. Like you're getting the best people there. So there needs to like Kimmy, there needs to be a lot more Kennedy Krieger. I'm in Canada, to be clear, not remotely what you and your family went through, but we were at a height of what do we do? And it was the same thing. I went to Children's Hospital and I dropped to my knees and I said, somebody, please help me. Like, help my daughter. There's no help. There's nobody in this field of autism that seems to truly get the piece of aggression. Like, they don't seem to get that piece of it, you know? So there is no like A constant passing of the buck. Like, you need to call this person. And then the person's like, no. You yes. really need to call this specialist. And the specialist was like, no, you should try this yes. place. And it's like, as you were saying, you know, I went from specialist to specialist. I thought like, God dang, I've been there. Yeah. Our, mine was called the Mayo Clinic. And we were on like a lazy Susan, like, like at the Pope's head on Buca de Beppo. Like we just kept going to the other people. Like, Spin us around. Let's see the people. And for us, they just kept saying she needs to be older. You need to be on the East Coast with her. You need to be she needs to be older. Like there's no place. There's no place. But with every no, we were hearing no for the EEG, no for the, you know, like results of major seizures. Like they could track slowing of things. They could track the size of things, but like nothing was ever an answer. But as we moved further from that time, all of those things became my stripes on my like soldiering autism jacket, but also the things that we could bring to the places like Kennedy Krieger or in our case, the Mayo Clinic or our case Violet, these places where we've tested her ears, we've tested this, we've tested this. These are not, 
like inconclusive, like all these steps that feel like nothing or feel like failures add to the case eventually. And it all matters. So it's, I mean, just, I can hear and feel every rung of the ladder for helping just knowing my path and dang it. Good job, girl. Just always been rooting for you guys. I I just am inspired. Thank you. Did you ever get any insight into what like triggered the self-harm like, was there ever any- I was wondering that too. We still don't really know. We don't really have any answers. I mean, I think that, you know, hormones probably played Pretty, a part. Mm-hmm. I think sure that's a piece of it, but I still don't know. I still don't know. How is she with it now? Has it um, eased off at all with being in treatment through the years or are um, they just managing it day to day? Yeah, a little bit of both. You know, it ebbs and flows. Uh, she's for sure still engages in self in self injurious behavior, not as much. And now we have protective gear for her, so she can't mm-hmm. hurt her much. But it ebbs and flows. I mean, right now we've had like a really good run of like some calm. We've she's been like stringing together. Don't some- say it. I know. I know. So yeah, I know. <laughs> But, you know, for four years, I've been saying, like, when is she going to get a break? Yeah. When? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's up and down and ebbs and flows. But I still don't know why. And that's why I just think it's so important that I don't know how people, like, I don't maybe in medical school, they need to teach about kids with autism or something. I don't know. <laughs> but there needs to be more resources Mm-hmm. a broader knowledge yeah. base too you know there's so yeah. much that's why we we've come to this topic or this series of autism behind closed doors because we finally have developed a resource library rich with different topics and open and candid conversations and it's like well it's really time to, to lift the veil a bit more and yeah. if we can't use a community that we've built for conversations like these where can you talk about it and it's like so much than like the kids it's like what happens to the parents and the siblings when this stuff is PTSD and and the and the stress and the chaos like what happens to everybody what's Mm -hmm. the fallout you know yeah Yeah. and it's like you stay strong as long as you can but I can imagine once she got placed was when probably everything really hit you you know once we found out yes a hundred percent like I was just in go mode when I was trying to get her this funding. And then when we found out she did get a placement and then trying to get her a date to get her back to KKI, like I was just in go mode. And then once the dust settled, yes, that's when I felt like I could breathe. But also I was like, but you got sick. I've, I've got some issues <laughs> from this <laughs> that maybe now I need to start to figure out, yeah. you know, yeah. like just it, like I teach yoga. And so I'm into like, you know, yeah. taking care of yourself and whatever, but and like lighting incense and stuff, but like, it just wrecks havoc on your nervous system. Well, you're right, and then there's this other state, child, right? you know, here that's a part of all of it too. It's so hard. I think with the siblings. It's, it is. It's so hard. They go through so much too. Yeah. And they see, they see their siblings struggling. They see their parents struggling. I mean, they go through so much. Well, it's a constant state of disruption to their, their being as well. Right. Even though that's what they know, it's still a day-to-day sort of level of, I think, stress that most people don't understand. For sure. They just don't. I am so thankful you came on. I, when we talked about this, I'm like, I I know I would ask Jessica. I just, you know, it's a story that you know, it, it, to most people listening to it, it's, it's so out of this world, 
you know, um, I think of obviously if I didn't have a daughter on the spectrum, I would never understand it. I think it's great. I think it's great for teachers to hear. I think it's great for doctors and nurses and lawyers. And I think it's good for everyone to hear your Did story. Did you say mechanics? Mechanics. Everybody in the world, everybody needs to hear <laughs> The damn this. checkout at Target needs to hear this story. Yeah. yeah. Mostly them. Mostly. Target especially. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Everybody needs to hear this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being so open and sharing mm -hmm. something that is not easy. Incredible. Oh. Thank you for coming. Incredible. On. Yes. Thank you, you. for having me and for giving me the opportunity to share. It's just, it's super important to me that people know Zoe's story so that we could oh. we know more. You can do more. You could do better. Yes. I just don't really know like how to share stuff because I'm not like, you know, big, like big on social media and stuff. So this is, this is, Thank you for letting well, me Well, let that. me just tell you then, Rachel Flanagan has big plans. She's going to big, big, build a big commune, and we're going to have a school uh, there and therapists. Hey. We're going to all live together. So you're welcome I to join. Love that. That would this be is so my A-frame uh, connected <laughs> by a tunnel drawing for a two-girls aging out unit. Can oh, I my wait? love that. And I'll, just, I'll teach yoga and meditation to all the yes. moms. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> right next to the I'll labyrinth, the stone labyrinth. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be serving the cocktails. Okay. <laughs> Come see me when you've stretched. Yeah. So thank you. Yes, and, thank and you. fingers thank crossed you. for for you know longer periods oh, for Zoe yes. of, of calm and thank hopefully. you. I really appreciate that. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Big thank you to all of our supporters. If you'd like to become a supporter, please check out the description of this episode. There you can also find episode information. If you enjoy our podcast, we would appreciate if you could rate and review us wherever you listen. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact us, you can at tableforfivepodcast at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again. See you next time. Bye.